one of the things that I get people to do at the very beginning when they're trying to break out of their habit of worrying is to, instead of worrying about their worrying, to simply start noticing how you worry. So begin to pick apart, is this little sentences I say to myself, or is this pictures of bad things happening? Or So get underneath just calling it worry and start asking yourself, how am I actually worrying? That can be a real good way of learning something about yourself. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Calajuri, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing that book down to its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on this show to have a conversation with them about the golden nuggets. And I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that I believe can spark real change in your life. If you're a fan of the show, then please go online, rate and review the show. When you do that, send your ranking, send your review to podcast at ryancalajuri.com and I'll make sure you get entered into a draw every single quarter for a brand new prize. Last quarter, we gave away an Amazon Echo. So again, now we're going to come up with a new prize. What it is, I don't know yet, but get your entry in and I'll let you know in upcoming episodes of Cut the Crap Podcast. Also, if, you, uh, if you're a fan of the show, but also if you're a fan of yours truly, then please go online and follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's always great connecting with people who are listening to the show, and I've seen so many of you who have been listening to the show, and it's great to finally put some faces to some of the listeners and to have real dialogue with a lot of you, many of you asking me questions, uh, engaging with me on LinkedIn especially, and I love it. Absolutely love it, so please keep it up. And if you're out there and you want to send me a quick message, just let me know that you're listening. Please feel free just to message me and say hi. All right, this week, what are we focusing on? We're talking to Gay Hendricks about his book, The Big Leap. Conquer your hidden fear and take life to the next level. Now, typically we focus on a lot of business books here, some self-help books. And this one in particular I really like because it focuses on a very human element that we all deal with. We deal with fear. There is not one person out there listening right now that does not deal with some element of fear. If you're in your career and you're trying to move up the corporate ladder, if you're trying to move into a new industry, if you're trying to start a new career, there's always this fear, this apprehension of moving forward. You're in constant state of worry. How do you deal with that? Do you have strategies? Do you have approaches for how you deal with fear, how you deal with worry? Well, that's exactly what Gay and I talk about this week on Cut the Crap Podcast, and I really want you to take note of a lot of the different elements that we chat about because you can apply them in your life as you move forward, as you're growing as a professional. And of course, if you're growing, you know the spiel. If you're growing, you're going to be uncomfortable. That's just the way it's going to be. So get used to being uncomfortable. Feel comfortable with uncomfortableness. That's the biggest takeaway here. Now, before we get into this, I do have to say I, um, I'm very sorry about some of the sound quality on this one. We had a little bit of uh, feedback coming from Gay on this one, and um, on my end, I was recording in an area that I don't typically record in. Uh, I was outside of the office, so um, I was just recording as best as I possibly could. Again, for me, it's about getting the content out there. It might not be perfect, but I'm not aiming for perfection. I'm just trying to get great information. Again, my goal, my mission is to help spark change in your life and provide you with some high quality information. I can do that despite the sound quality. Um, the content, of course, is amazing as usual, if I do say so myself. But in any case, this is The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear and Take Life to the Next Level with Gay 
Hendrix. I will catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Gay, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks so much for making time for myself and for everybody out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. My pleasure. I just got back from working out for an hour in the gym, so you got me at my fully pumped state today. <laughs> there we go. I love it. So, Gay, for people who don't know you uh, and what you do, why don't you give us a quick introduction to uh, who you are and what you do? Well, um, on my license, it says I'm a psychologist, and um, I got my doctorate in counseling psychology from Stanford in 1974, and I've always been interested in helping people change, and I became a professor at the University of Colorado back in 1974 when I finished Stanford, and I had a 21-year academic career and wrote a lot of books, and um, one book caught Oprah's attention, a book my wife and I wrote in 1990, I guess, um, and called Conscious Loving. Mm. And so we got invited to be on Oprah and uh, sold a ton of books and um, quit having to work for a living. Always nice. And uh, so I spent the last 25 or 30 years since then. Uh, we teach relationship seminars around the world. My wife just came back from Europe, Spain, and Germany, um, and is going back there this uh, next month in April to teach seminars. I kind of stay at home and write the books. I, I'm a born writer. I've been scribbling down things since I was about four years old. My mom still has, when she passed away, still had notebooks I'd uh, written in from the oh, time wow. I could walk pretty much. <laughs> and so um, I love to write. And I wrote The Big Leap in uh, 2009 because I wanted to put into one place pretty much everything I knew about how to help successful people become even more successful. And there's a lot of books written on kind of how to start from ground zero and kind of work your way up to where you're making a little bit of a difference in the world. But a lot of the people I work with were people who were already doing okay, but they wanted to take the lid off their final dimension. You know, they wanted to go into um, uh, what I now call your genius spiral. Mm. They wanted to get into the genius spiral instead of kind of laboring away, doing incremental changes. Um, So I wrote The Big Leap, and it's one of the most unusual books I've ever written in the sense that it sells better now, almost nine or ten years later, than it did when it first came out. So Mm. if you looked at a a chart of it, you'd see it go steadily up over the past ten years, which I know the publisher isn't advertising it, so it must be word of mouth. But anyway, it's become a kind of a Bible of the uh, coaching industry, and I very much appreciate all the life coaches and business executive coaches around the world for adopting uh, the big leap. Well, there's a lot of things in here that we talk, or that you talk about, that all of us suffer from. Every single person out there listening, all of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you suffer from things that the big leap talks about. You know, you provide different valuable insights on how to overcome fear and um, how we uh, constantly, constantly self-sabotage ourselves, which kind of leads us into the episode now. So there's an old quote that I'm sure a lot of people have heard. Um, it It was made popular on the movie Coach Carter, but it goes something like, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. So that quote there really summarizes this first golden nugget, where we as humans, we tend to, we complain a lot. Let's just say that. We all want to be happy, but are we really prepared to be happy? Because we have this strange urge to resist happiness, and this strange urge is related to fear. Fear of achieving our full potential. So golden nugget number one says that people resist happiness, but if we learn to breathe 
we can overcome our fears. So Gay, tell us a little bit more about why we resist happiness and how does breathing help us get over that? Very good point. Well, Ryan, one of the things that I started looking at early on when I started working with clients, uh, right after I got out of uh, graduate school, I built up a little private practice there in the area that I'd been living in, Palo Alto, California. And one of the things about that time was it was when Silicon Valley was really taking off big time. And so a lot of the people that I worked with were high-tech executives. And, well, first of all, a lot of them were suffering from burnout because, you know, a lot of those uh, tech businesses, people work 85, 90 hours a week, especially in startup mode. And so I got used to working with people on really two dimensions, helping them move through burnout and get their feet back on the ground and get their energy back again, and also helping them learn to take the lid off what I call the upper limit problem, which is the tendency to hold ourselves back or sabotage mm -hmm. ourselves when things are going better and better. Mm -hmm. And I can talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I just started noticing that a lot of the business executives I worked with, whether they were male or female or what branch of the industry they were in, they almost all had physical problems that were associated with breathing. And I started doing a lot of research on breathing at the time, and I found that a tremendous number of physical problems come from poor breathing, if nothing else. You know, some come from poor posture, and some come from sitting around too much and not getting any exercise. But a lot of them come from just not having your breathing on, Interesting. on right. And so I started doing a lot of research on breathing and found out how to help people shift out of fight-or-flight stressed-type breathing into a more centered state of breathing. And so that led me to publish a couple of books, one of which was uh, my book, Conscious Breathing, that was a sequel to my book, Conscious Loving, about relationships. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you look at Conscious Breathing, which goes back about 20 years now, I laid out all the key things, but I talk about particularly what I call the central breathing problem, which when under stress, human beings tend to tighten up their bellies and take smaller, shallower breaths up in their chest. And it's something that you can see no matter if you're a pauper or a millionaire or if you're a cat or a dog or a human. You see it in all mammals that when we get scared, our bellies tighten mm. and we start pumping up our chests and breathing faster and heart beats faster. So it's all symptoms of uh, fight or flight breathing. And so I found a quick, easy set of techniques that help people shift out of that and shift back into centered breathing. And so, um, thank goodness, Conscious Breathing is another one of those <laughs> books that every author loves that sells better every year than it did the first year right. that came out. So I assume that most people are still getting value from learning how to breathe correctly. So yeah. it's part of every every seminar I do, every coaching session I do, I'm always paying attention to breathing because it's the quick path to getting people out of their stressed fight or flight mode. So if people are stressed out right now, they're going into a meeting, they have a public speaking engagement, um, they just have to have a conversation with their boss that they're very uncomfortable about. Yes, I'm 100% on board. When people get stressed out or even when they're not really conscious of it, people just naturally start to breathe with their chest. What kind of advice do you give to people who are looking to breathe better? They say, Gay, I want to learn how to breathe better. Can you give us some free tips or some coaching in terms of how we can breathe more effectively, which can help us maybe have a better response to high-pressure situations? 
Yes. One very important thing is that when breathing gets faster and faster, it makes our bodies more unsettled. For example, if if you're breathing at more than about 13 or 14 or 15 times a minute, I can almost tell you that there's something stressful going on around you or in your life. Whereas if you're breathing at maybe eight cycles or six cycles per minute, where each breath takes maybe four or five seconds to go in and four or five seconds to go out, that tells me that your body's in a more serene state. Mm. So if you didn't do anything else, just notice how fast you're breathing and get your breathing slowed down underneath the stress response uh, area, which is once your breathing starts getting up 10, 12, 14, 15 times a minute, then you're getting into definite stress territory. So if you can bring it back under 10 times a minute so that you're getting a nice three or four or five second in breath and a nice three or four or five mm-hmm. second out breath, that helps ease the stress chemistry out of your body. So it's probably the simplest thing to do. Another really simply simple thing to do, Brian, is just notice if your belly is tight. Because if your belly tightens up, what it does is it keeps your diaphragm from moving through the full range of motion when you breathe. Because if you hold your belly tight, your diaphragm can't expand downward. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, when your belly is tight and your diaphragm isn't moving through its full range of motion, it leaves a kind of a background feeling of anxiety in your body and it makes you feel a little fatigued. And it accounts for a lot of the kind of moment-to-moment not quite feeling good, not quite feeling centered. A lot of people just kind of go around in a slightly off-center feeling way where they don't quite feel right. But oftentimes that can be corrected very simply by just getting your breathing working correctly so it nurtures you but doesn't stress you out. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting how as we get older we stop breathing naturally with our diaphragm when we start to move it up and we start breathing with our chest and you might notice this you know when you're looking at babies for example you get babies breathe their stomach moves up and down when they breathe because they're engaging their diaphragm when I was training for um, competitions uh, martial arts competitions we would get put through the ringer and get as tired as possible and you'd sit there just just exhausted and then my coach comes to me one day he goes change how you breathe man he goes Breathe in nice and deep, he goes, with your nose, and breathe out nice and deep with your mouth open. And he goes, you'll notice that you're going to start to engage your diaphragm, which will bring more oxygen into your body, which will then um, decrease your recovery time. And he was absolutely right how that just changed everything. And I never forgot that. So if you're out there listening right now in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you're put into a very stressful situation, do as Gay is telling you to, and be very self-aware of how you're breathing. If you're going into a meeting and you notice you're breathing a little bit faster, you have that speaking engagement, you're breathing a little bit faster, just becoming aware of it can help you a lot. So slow down the breathing. Take deeper breaths. Relax your belly. Allow your diaphragm to be engaged. And if you are not used to it, hey, this might take practice, right, Gay? Like, I don't think people can relearn how to breathe all of a sudden. Sometimes this stuff takes practice, right? Right, because your body has often adapted to poor breathing. Uh, I used to live in Colorado Springs near the Olympic Center, and so I used to get these really high-functioning athletes that had trained on the top of asthma or Mm. some breathing problem. So it was very difficult to get them into a more comprehensive 
nurturing form of breathing. But once they did, I mean, their athletic performance takes off even more because if you can get your full resources underneath your breathing, you know, you're you're going to be walking around feeling a whole lot better right. every moment than you did before. Absolutely. So on a similar vein to Golden Nugget number one, Golden Nugget number two says that many of us have a hurdle that holds us back called an upper limit mindset. You've already alluded to that. So what is that? How is it dangerous? And how do we get over it? What happens is as people begin to function more highly and more productively, your energy goes up, the amount of money you go goes up, and in your home life, for example, the amount of love you feel uh, goes up. And what happens is often we're not accustomed to a higher level of positive energy or a higher level of money flow or a higher level of love flow. And if sometimes we have fears down in us that maybe we don't deserve that, that maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with us, or for some reason we don't deserve to feel good all the time, or a lot of people carry around the belief that they don't deserve to be wealthy and prosperous or healthy. So these, what happens is as we begin to feel better, make more money, it trips those old fears, and then those old fears dial up some sort of sabotage move for yourself. So, um, for example, I, uh, I happened to watch the Oscars one year with a person who was sitting beside me in his living room uh, with me and my wife watching the Oscars with a cast on his arm. He was supposed to be at the Oscars getting an award, but he fell off his horse that afternoon and had to end up in the hospital and couldn't get down to the ceremony. And so that would be a classic example where a person who was going to get the award and actually ended up winning and would have been on the stage ended up sitting on the couch (laughs) and just watching somebody else receive the award for him. So that would be a classic example of the upper limit problem. And so a lot of us have ways of hurting ourselves either physically or emotionally or starting an argument or something just when things are beginning to go a lot better. And when I talk about this in, you know, on auditoriums and stages around the world, I haven't yet found a culture where people don't say, yeah, we do that. You know, I do that. And, and so it's something that seems to be a universal problem. Even if you look at countries, countries have upper limits problems. Like how long does a country remain at peace before it gets into another war. Hmm. You know, if you looked at, if, if you just drew a graph over the centuries of history, you'd see that a lot of countries go every 15 or 20 or 25 years, they get in a new war. So we almost have an allergy to things going well for very long. Why do we naturally revert back to a more negative state? Why do we go back to a problematic state? It just sounds so counterintuitive when things are going well. It's like, yeah, things are great, baby. I love it. It's the best life has been. But why is it that we always want to go back to a, a place of just, you know, a place that's a little bit more negative, not as good? Why does that happen? What's, what's the root cause to that? The root cause is fear. F-E-A-R. And fear takes us back down into our zone of comfort. Mm. So what happens is, let's say you start making more money, and all of a sudden it awakens a fear. Do I really deserve to be this prosperous? Might be one of them. Or, oh my goodness, I'm making more money 
than my brothers and sisters now. That's going to cause stuff in the family. Uh, okay. uh, so up comes these various fears. One of them is what I call a fear of outshining other people, which is very, you know, a lot of people I've worked with here have that, even though they might be a, a CEO of a big corporation making $750,000 a year salary, they still have problems like that in their family or their relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's something that's common to all of us. So nobody needs to feel bad about having the upper limit problem since just about everybody does. So what you have to do is when you start noticing it happening, look for the fear underneath it and deal with the fear directly. Get in touch with the fear. Feel it, kind of memorize it, what it feels like, and then find the antidote to it. Like, for example, I mentioned the fear of outshining. Well, a lot of people have this fear that if I'm doing better than my brothers and sisters when I was growing up, you know, they have sibling rivalry. Maybe they feel good about that, but a lot of them feel guilty about that. Or uh, do you feel uh, like I have couples in here all the time where um, the woman sometimes makes more than the man does mm. and feels guilty about it? And so um, we all of us have various versions of these fears, but what happens is we start making a little more money, and that excites that fear of, oh, my goodness, do I, do I really deserve to be this prosperous in the world. So those are the things that happens. And what you have to do is provide an antidote. Like with the fear of outshining, you have to say to yourself, well, wait a minute. If I make more money, it's not going to make other people feel bad. That's the fear, is that Mm -hmm. if I make more money, it's going to make other people feel bad. They're going to be jealous. But you could also develop a new belief in your mind that says, hey, if I make more money, that can inspire other people to do the same. So in other words, you take yourself out of the whole mental negative thinking thing about thinking that your behavior is going to cause trouble, and you implant a new antidote belief in there, which says that, you know, I can make as much money as I want to make, and everybody can feel good about that. So you just uh, create a new belief in there because it's our old beliefs that cause the problem, you know, like the belief that says you don't deserve it. That's why I want to say to people not to feel bad about uncovering these things because truly I've worked with, you know, people who are at the heads of big companies and I've worked with people that are junior high school teachers down the street here and everybody has the same issue to deal with that. We all have inside ourselves a deep, deep longing to express our full potential, but many of us also carry a little seed of a belief down in there, kind of like the grit in the oyster (laughs) that's that's saying, I don't deserve that, or I don't deserve to be here, or I don't deserve to be wealthy, or I don't deserve to, to be loved. So I think that that little battle goes on between us in just about everybody on the planet. And it's up to us, each of us, to make a commitment to bringing forth our true potential. Because unless you make that commitment, a deep, heartfelt commitment to really bringing forth your true potential, it's unlikely that you will. Just because in life you get what you're committed to getting. And so I feel very blessed in a way because I kind of caught on to this at a fairly early age. And I realized I was only spending at the time 10% of my time or less doing what I really love to do. And so I made a commitment to, to really bringing forth my genius, doing what I really love to do all the time. And gradually, 
it got, you know, like eventually I was doing about 30% of my time doing what I love to do. And then I set a goal of doing 50% of my time doing what I love to do. And that took me a few years to get to there. But once it it's there, who cares how long it takes? You know, I hope That's it right. won't take your listeners so long because I had to kind of figure this out from the seat <laughs> of my pants and um, so they don't have the guidebook that uh, the big leap has become. So, but it doesn't really matter how long it takes as long as you're committed to bringing forth your true genius. Um, and I say that just about everybody will eventually have the calling to bring forth their genius because even if you're operating in your excellence zone, well, that still leaves a lot of cards on the table, you know, because <laughs> right. even if you're doing what you're excellent at, at a lot of the time, many of the people, most I would say of the people that, that come here to do private coaching with me are operating big time in their excellence zone, mm-hmm. but it's also driving them nuts because, you know, I can't count the number of times I've had people in here, like, you know, an attorney will say to me at age 42, he'll say, you know, I'm, I've done it all right. I've got the partnership. I'm making my $500,000 a year. We're, we're in the right country clubs. My kids are all going to private school. And I feel like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. And because it's not something about the work they're doing is in their zone of excellence. It's not calling forth their true genius. Uh-huh. And the more high-functioning you are, the more unhappy you're going to be about that because – if you've got your genius on the line some of the time, but you aren't using it, you kind of feel even more miserable when, than when you had it completely submerged <laughs> and stuffed down inside. So that actually breaks us into the next golden nugget really nicely. We hear a lot about these different zones. You know, Stephen Covey talks about the, you know, his circle of concern, the circle of influence, where you put your time and attention is what really helps drive success, drives focus. And you found this new zone that you've already alluded to the zone of genius, which takes us to golden nugget number three that says that career success, excuse me, golden nugget number three says that career success can be found in the zone of genius. So very simply, what is the zone of genius and how do all of us in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, how do we get into the zone of genius? Yes. uh, In the big leap, I referred to it as the zone of genius I've kind of stopped calling it a zone now because a zone makes it sound like it's it's an encapsulated area Mm. and genius has no bounds to it. So I call it a genius spiral now. And so when you step up onto that genius spiral, what's happening there is you're spending more and more of your time doing what you most love to do. So like I said, when I first caught onto this idea, I realized, gosh, I'm only spending a small percentage of my time doing what I love to do. The rest of the time I'm doing what I'm good at, some things I'm excellent at, but it's really not tapping the the true genius, the true creativity I have inside. So as I said, you first need to make a commitment to bringing that forth because it'll be kind of a mysterious process in a way. If you already knew what your genius was, you'd probably be gravitating in that direction. But Mm -hmm. first you have to spend some time actually cultivating genius by saying, what is it that I most love to do? And what is it that when I do it produces the greatest amount of satisfaction and abundance for me? And one of the things that I've learned from coaching uh, executives in corporations, back during the 80s and up into the early 90s, I used to do quite a bit of on-site work where I would 
go down to Texas, for example, for a while and coach the executives at uh, Dell Computer, the top three executives down there back during the 90s. And in the 80s, I did a lot of that traveling around and doing that. And as I kind of got burnt out on traveling, I, I haven't come here to me now, but back in those days when I used to go to the halls of various corporations around the world, one of the things I would do is ask the executive that I was working with if I could just shadow him or her for an hour or two while they were going about their normal activities. And it was just fascinating to me how much I learned. Just, I, I pretty much didn't need to do anything else but watch a few interactions to figure out where they were going off track. Because almost always, high-functioning people get trapped into doing things they don't want to do or that somebody else could do just as well. So unless you maintain a really keen vigilance as a gifted person in the world, people are always going to want you to do more and more of the stuff that they can do too, but they want to see you do it. You know, they want to see it done really great. Well, you got to, I always coach my clients that it's as important in life what you say no to as what you say yes to. Because so many people that are gifted are always saying yes, 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 yes to things, and then they get overwhelmed and uh, feel resentful about that. So um, one of the things we do here is uh, in our seminars as well as in person is to help people get to what I call a conscious no or an enlightened no. And if you have to fire someone, we coach people how to do what we call high firing so that it's done from a place of consciousness rather than a a place of unconsciousness. And that's very important because the more you go along in life, it's oftentimes the little relationship interactions that you accumulate during the day that eats up a lot of your stress energy. Because if you leave situations or conversations incomplete, for example, where there's something missing that you later have to go back and fix or that wasn't quite understood. or um, Like, for example, in one company I worked with, the, the uh, executive would call three people in, give them an order and say, okay, got it, and they would then take off. But hmm. it was astounding to me how often then it would generate incompletion because the thing I trained him to do is to wait until he got absolute body-mind buy-in from each of the person. In other words, not only did they know what they were up to in their mind, but their body language was congruent with it. They weren't sitting there all crossed up with their hands over their, you know, their uh, arms folded over their chests and their legs wrapped around each other. They weren't in a kind of a stressed body posture while they were saying yes to whatever they were committing to do. So it's a, it's, there's a lot. Um, we could spend about 10 hours talking about the problem of, of incompletion, but uh, one of the big things that keeps stress out of our bodies is to complete conversations on the spot mm-hmm. so that we don't accumulate incompletion that later has to be dealt with. Yeah. I want to talk about two very important things that I believe puts a lot of us down in life and prevents us from achieving our true success. And it's complaining and allowing our problems in life to metastasize and grow out of control to the point where they become, as Jim Rohn says, disaster colossal. So golden nugget number four says that in order for us to master time, we need to stop complaining and we need to deal with problems head on before they grow. Now, 
These are two very difficult things to do. So help us understand how we can get through them. Well, there are two very important things to do because um, any problem that you don't take personal responsibility for will proliferate in your life, even if it looks like it's somebody else's fault, especially if it looks like it's somebody else's fault. A lot of people wait to take responsibility because they're waiting for the other person to take responsibility, <laughs> which, can, which can take maybe 60, 70, 80 years sometimes to wait around for the other person to take responsibility. And so I, I discovered early on in my relationship with my wife, Kathleen, also known as Katie, uh, we've been together now uh, since 1980. So uh, we're in our 38th year, wow. I guess. We're starting our 39th year together. Awesome. And one of the things that we we had had other relationships, I didn't meet her until I was in my uh, early 30s, and I'd had other relationships in my 20s and my teens that didn't work very well. And one of the reasons they didn't work was because each of us got stuck in the blame game, in complaining about each other. And there's no way out of the blame game until one person takes responsibility for it. It's ideal if both persons will take responsibility for it. Instead of saying it's your fault, instead of saying that, to say, hmm, I'm going to look at how I contributed to this situation. I'm going to look at how I created this situation. And if both people will do that, a problem can be solved very quickly. But many people retract into the victim position, which takes us into our reptilian brain. When we feel like we're the victim, we're uh, coiled up and ready to strike. And so um, any kind of victimization of ourselves or even thinking of the other person as the victim gets us into a negative cycle that keeps us from taking 100% responsibility. A lot of people think a relationship between two people contains 100% responsibility, but it actually contains 200%. Hmm. So it's only when each person is cleanly, clearly taking 100% responsibility, saying, here's how I contributed to this situation. Here's what I did that set up this. Here's, here's, here's my involvement in it. And so when both people can do that, real magic can occur. So um, I've found here in working with about 4,500 couples over the past 30 or 40 years that about maybe one out of five couples really ought not to be in the relationship. They're beating up on each other too badly emotionally or sometimes physically that they need space from each other just to kind of recover from the toxicity of the mm -hmm. relationship. But I found that four out of five couples just need to learn some things that they need to learn, and particularly around, like in our book, Conscious Loving, blame is actually one of the main things to focus on. Oh, we also had um, a sequel come out a year or two ago to Conscious Loving, which is a, a new book for people at 40 and above, midlife and above. It's called Conscious Loving Ever After. And blame is a focus of both of those because one of the main things that that people say when they leave a troubled relationship is I just got sick of being blamed all the time, no matter what I did. And oddly enough, both people ended up, end up feeling that way. And a lot of things people say when they're leaving a troubled relationship is I never felt appreciated. I just don't feel appreciated anymore. And so if you think about it, blame is at the heart of a lot of problems that take place in relationship. Right. And as I said, there's only really one clean, clear way out of it is just to drop the blame and say, hmm, how did I 
create this situation? Or of all the possibilities, why would I have designed it like this? The moment you start opening up that kind of a conversation, real magic can occur. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that you're talking about, it really requires somebody to take themselves outside of themselves for a moment and to really look at what they have in front of them objectively. Whether it's, you know, you're dealing with a problem in your relationship or you're thinking about what you want to do in your career, it really takes you out of the current environment that you're in. You really have to think logically about it. But that's not usually how things go. Most of the times we're ignited with emotion, you know, we have that big presentation, so we let fear take over. And we don't think, hey, I got to slow down my breathing, Ryan. I got to slow down my breathing, gay. We don't do that. When we're getting into an argument with our spouse, we don't take ourselves outside of that and say, listen, we're both 100% responsible for this. What did I do to contribute to this um, this, this debate, this discussion? Um, when we're doing projects and we're taking on new work and we're getting paid money, we don't take ourselves outside of it to look at what am I truly building in my career? Am I moving towards my genius spiral? Am I moving in that direction or am I just doing work? We're not doing that. So what kind of advice do you give to people who are constantly just, they're on autopilot, they're moving so fast all the time, they don't take a step back just to look at their life to make change, to make it better? What kind of advice do you give to those people? The simplest, smallest, bite-sized piece of advice I give to people in that situation is to pencil into their calendar every day for the next week, 10 minutes. And during that 10 minutes, to go into a room by yourself or get somewhere where you're not going to be disturbed, go out and sit under a tree, but someplace where you're not going to be disturbed for 10 minutes, and simply wonder about the question, what is my genius? And you can take along a little pad with you or something to jot down ideas on it, but just live in that question for a week. Hmm, what is my genius? I recommend that people make a humming sound, too, because an actual <laughs> hum puts you in the kind of mode of a good body feeling that goes along with wondering, hmm, what is my genius? Hmm, what do I most love to do? I've never seen it take more than a week of those little 10-minute episodes for people to get a real rich new understanding of what their genius is. Then it becomes a matter of how much time you're willing to commit to spending in your zone of genius, your genius spiral every day. And um, most people, once they get hooked on 10 minutes, want to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. And pretty soon, you'll, uh, if you keep at it for a while, you'll be where I woke up one day a few years ago, realized I spend 90% of my time in my zone of genius. I'm mm. hardly ever doing anything I don't love to do, except maybe right. when I'm riding on the freeway to get down to give a speech or something. I'm not crazy about that, but that's something i got to do. Sure. And so it's, um, it's possible to build it up so you're spending pretty much all your waking hours mm. doing what you most love to do. Fair enough. Fair enough. I really think there's something to <clears throat> this idea that Dan Pink talks about in his, uh, in his book, When. Um, he talks about the importance of pausing and the importance of just, just holding on for a moment and, and, and thinking about where I'm at currently in the day, where I'm at currently within the hour, and just taking a moment. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in emotions, sometimes we just get on autopilot. In fact, not sometimes, most of the time, we allow our, our emotions to dictate our behavior or our actions or you know, just we're on autopilot and we don't change. But really taking a moment to pause and be conscious and ask ourselves great questions such as the one that you posed to us can really help put us on the right path and the right direction and help us make better decisions. 
So as we finish up here, Gay, we have one final golden nugget that I want to talk to you about. And it's a golden nugget that I think we all suffer from in today's world. You know, we, a lot of people, they read the news, they hear what's happening across the, the, across the sea, in our own country and in different cities. And we worry, we worry a lot. And this worry, again, it poisons us. It gets into our mind and all of a sudden all we can concern ourselves with is worry and what's happening here or what's going to happen here or, or, or what have you. And worrying to me is one of the most dangerous things that we can do because we don't really have a lot of control over it. So in our last golden nugget, golden nugget number five, it says that to improve your life, you need to let go of worrying. Now that to me sounds overly simplified to let go of worrying. Gay, help us understand how we can get over this controlling emotion of worry. Yes. Well, if you worry, chances are you're missing a key piece of information about how how your mind works. Uh, Worrying is addictive. And the more you worry, the more you tend to worry. Just, just like a person usually doesn't light up one cigarette when they're 17 and then stop there. You know, they continue to smoke more and more until they're heavily addicted. And so the same thing with worry and the addiction to worry. So uh, and as a matter of fact, it's interesting that you're asking this because um, I'm, I just finished writing my sequel to The Big Leap, which will be out. The new book will be out in September. Hey, there and we go. It concern, yes, and it concerns this very subject. Um, So I appreciate you asking the question. One of the things that I get people to do at the very beginning when they're trying to break out of their habit of worrying is to, instead of worrying about their worrying, to simply start noticing how you worry. So begin to pick apart. Is this little sentences I say to myself or is this pictures of bad things happening? Or So get underneath just calling it worry and start asking yourself, how am I actually worrying? That can be a real good way of learning something about yourself. Because the next step that I ask people to do is begin to take note when they have worry thoughts. Am I worrying about something I have no control over? Or am I worrying about something that I actually have control over? And what you will find, I predict, based on people that I've worked with, is about 99% of the thoughts that flow through our minds are about things we have absolutely no control over. And what that means is we're engaging in that addiction. And as any recovering addict will tell you, whatever it's liquor or worry or cocaine or whatever, Underneath that addiction was something positive that they were afraid to bring forth. In other words, the drinking was to conceal that wild creative spark that they needed to bring forth. Or the cocaine was, under, it was fueling a, a lack of self-esteem. And it wasn't until they opened up and did some work on that that they realized that they didn't need the drug anymore for the self-esteem. So whatever the addiction is, what it's hiding is the creative outburst somewhere in yourself. So if you get underneath worrying, you'll find that there's a lot of wild, great, wonderful creativity underneath it that's trying to be expressed that you're afraid of expressing. So whenever you catch one of those worry thoughts go by, pick it apart a little bit, find out how you're worrying, and then 
find out if it's something that you actually have any control over. That, my friend, is a great note to end off on. The Big Leap, conquer your hidden fear and take life to the next level. Gay, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today talking about some many different aspects of, of trying to optimize our lives, different things that we all struggle with. And I really think that, um, well, I really hope that all of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation um, really took heart to a lot of this advice that Gay is sharing with us uh, today because these are aspects of our life that can have dramatic positive effects on it. So, Gabe, before I let you go here, why don't you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the new book launch that's coming up? Again, very exciting. I had no idea until you actually just uh, spurred that one on me. Well, it's just now. Uh, I really haven't gone public with it yet, so um, I, uh, <laughs> I haven't uh, put out a big press release on it till uh, next month, I guess, May. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's coming out in September. It's uh, awesome. Uh, coincides with my wife's birthday on oh, September wonderful. 19th to do a big birthday Wonderful. celebration and launch it for her. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Uh, you'll be hearing lots about it between now and then. I'll be putting out little bits of it and have a sample chapter to read in a few months and that kind of thing. Well, how do people go ahead and, uh, and get in touch with you or follow you along if they're out there and they're interested in learning more? They can go to Hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com, or you can go to our relationship website, heartsinharmony.com, heartsinharmony. And uh, that's the repository for all our relationship stuff. Excellent. Well, Gay, thank you again so much for coming on this show and for making time for myself and for everybody out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. It was a real pleasure. Thanks a lot, Ryan. All right, there we have it. That's The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear and Take Life to the Next Level by Gay Hendricks. If you like this episode, then please go online, rate and review the show, whatever platform you're listening on, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, doesn't matter. Get online, rate and review the show, and take a screen capture of your rating and send it to podcast at and I'll make sure you get entered into the draw every single quarter for a brand new prize. Also, don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. When you do that, just please let me know that uh, you found me through the podcast and uh, just send me a quick message saying hi. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. So thank you so much for tuning in again. I will catch you back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Hope you all have a fantastic, productive, inspired week. We'll catch you next week, everybody. I love you guys. Fail early, fail often, fail forward. Um, you know, it's always a little bit frustrating to me when, when people have a negative relationship with failure. Failure is a massive part of being able to be successful. You have to get comfortable with failure. You have, you have to actually seek failure. Failure is where all of the lessons are. You know, when you go to the gym and you work out, you're actually seeking failure. You wanna take your muscles to the point where you get to failure because that's where the, the adaptation is. That's where growth is. Successful people fail a lot. They fail a whole lot more than they succeed. They extract the lessons from the failure and they use that, the, the energy and they use the wisdom to come around to the next phase of success gotta take a shot you have to live at the edge of your capabilities you gotta live where you're almost certain you're gonna fail
That's the reason for practice. Practice is controlled failure. You're getting to your limit, getting to your limit, getting to your limit. You can't lift that. You can't do that you, until you get to the point that all of a sudden your body makes the adjustment and then you can do it. Failure uh, actually helps you to recognize the areas where you need to evolve. So fail early, fail often, fail forward.